Hi, this is Elizabeth Bailey, and you're listening to the Citizens Podcast from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Anyone here a little bit competitive? Oh, I love the hands up. Like, of course y'all are. You'll want to show it too. Anyone here even like a little bit petty? Like, tiny, insy bit petty. Like, can't help but like ranking meaningless things all the time. Like walking into a restaurant and you're kind of looking around like, oh, they got the fish, honey. Good choice. Steak, good. Scallops, wouldn't do that. Wouldn't do that. Uncle Bill's still not right, you know? Like thinking about that all the time. Maybe you were in the parking lot out here and you're judging how everyone was parked. You're like, good, good. You're like, nah, I know how to park. I'm not going to get dinged. I know where to park. I'm going to be close to the tacos so I can do a getaway with extra tacos. Some of y'all ranking everything. Or maybe you're really petty and kind of an odd person that's like very aware when you walk in a place like this about like how tall everyone is. Anybody a little bit like that? See, frequently I lose that one. Confession, I am not the tallest person at Citizens Church. I am actually the 23rd tallest person at Citizens Church. And humans are like that. We like to compare and contrast things. It's how we make sense of the world. But there can be a sinfulness to it, but there's also just a dumb pettiness to it. And we're going to go back to that in just one moment. And we've been preaching through for an entire year the gospel of John, studying it week in and week out because we want to know what's God doing? What did God do in Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus and what's that mean for us? And last week we talked all about how Jesus died on the cross for our sins on a Friday in Jerusalem, right outside the city gate. And in this passage, it details it's now Sunday. And sweet Mary Magdalene visits this grave on a Sunday, but she finds that the grave is empty. And when she sees the grave is empty, she tears back to the disciples because it's bizarre. She thinks a bizarre grave robbery has happened. Maybe they've desecrated Jesus's body further. Something bad has happened. Even though we know a squadron of Roman soldiers was stationed outside this grave, outside this cut hole in the rock that a huge boulder had been rolled in front of, she is running back in a panic to tell Peter and John and the rest of the team, Jesus is missing. His body is gone. But notice how John writes this. This is the the most important event in human history. And John fits in a little petty joke. Look with me at verses three and four. So Peter went out with the other disciple. The other disciple is John, the author of this gospel. And they were going towards the tomb. Great. Verse four. Both of them were running together. Okay. But the other disciple, John, was a little bit faster, a little bit speedier than Peter, and reached the tomb first. Verse 3 did the job. They were at point A and went to point B, the tomb. Verse 4 is completely unnecessary. John is writing this at least 10 years after the fact. He's choosing what to emphasize, and he chooses to emphasize two of us were running, not walking, and one of us, me, is a little faster. And everyone needs to know this from now into all of eternity. That is petty. 
And you might think, why is this guy, that's not what he means. Well, verse eight, he actually says the exact same thing again. So he definitely means to say it. But also, it's very important to this overall idea. You might be like, he's crazy. Talk about this on Easter. But the details here actually prove an important point for us today. And the important point is this, that the gospels and the Bible are authentic. They are trustworthy because they have details like this. If you are fabricating a new religion or making up stories about Jesus, do you think you would include a foot race to be convincing? No. But John is a real person. Christians believe the word of God is absolutely perfect and from God it is without error, but it's written by very real human authors in their own languages with their own personalities. You can see it in their vocabulary choices changed throughout the scriptures and all the books. And right here we see that John's pettiness is evidence of his realness. And if we believe and see that John is real and petty like you and I, if we trust that John is real, then we have real reason to believe that John saw Jesus alive, saw Jesus dead on a cross, and then sees Jesus risen from the dead. The perfection of the Bible and the beauty of details like these make us reconcile, is John a real person? If so, then Jesus is a real person. It takes you out of a Sunday school story about a stone rolling away and into the reality that just because something happened long ago doesn't make it any less true. Just because something happened long ago doesn't make it any less powerful. And every member here at Citizens is a witness to the power of Jesus changing their life or they would not be members here. We have a living evidence before us. And the question becomes, do we trust that 1,988 years ago, a man named Jesus rose from the dead, witnessed by many, but today witnessed by John before us? So I ask you just to let your guard down and just say, well, I engage with what John says as a real person testifying about the real God-man, Jesus Christ. Look what happens next. Next to look what happens next with Jog and John and not so speedy Pete. Verse five. After stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, the slow one, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up nicely in a place by itself. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their home. They are amazed that Jesus isn't there. But they find that the tomb hasn't been robbed. The linen clothes and the spices are there. The, the, the head cloth is folded up. Grave robbers are not that polite with the laundry. They're not like turning around to fold stuff up and they would have stolen it all if a robbery had been committed. In verse 8 says, John looked and he believed. And when John says that, he's saying he believed that Jesus rose from the dead just like Jesus said he would. 
Because Jesus actually predicted his death over and over and over during his earthly life. From the book of John, we have John 2 that reads like this. Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? They thought he was talking about the temple to God in Jerusalem, that Jesus would destroy it. And Jesus clarifies, and John clarifies, but he was speaking of the temple of his body, the true way to worship God forever and ever. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. Jesus says similar things in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and they all sound something like this. It's pretty specific stuff. Matthew 16, from the time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Jesus' predictions were shocking and even just difficult to wrap their mind around that this Jesus who's raising people from the dead, who's healing people, who's doing all these miracles, would somehow be apprehended, killed, and be raised. That was hard for them to process in their brain. But the thing is, none of this is new stuff. The Old Testament is filled with prophecies about a Savior to come and even references this idea that the Savior would die and be resurrected from the dead. The prophet Isaiah, a full 750 years before Jesus' earthly life, said this, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him, that is Jesus, cause Jesus to suffer. Though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin. He will see his offspring and prolong his days. The will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their inequities. Fancy word for sin. The Savior was prophesied to suffer, be crushed, make his life an offering for sin, that is, to die. Yet, in the same prophecy, it says this Savior, this Jesus, will see his offspring, you, the church. He will prolong his days. He will prosper and see the light of life again. That's resurrection language. That means the offering for sin isn't going to stay dead. He will die. He will live. And at the end, that's just the gospel that he will justify us and bear our sins. It's the gospel from hundreds and even thousands of years prior coming all true in Jesus, living in his words, but living in the words of Jesus's Bible. But we could go all the way back to the very first prophecy in the Garden of Eden, at the dawn of human history. This may be the key prophecy to understanding Easter at all. And it was made in Genesis 3.15, after mankind fell into sin, and this is the answer with what's wrong with the world. You might ask, like, what's wrong with this world? And the question would be more accurate, what's wrong with me in this world? And the answer is the same. It's sin. It's why we need a Savior. Sin is our rebellion towards God and was brought through the temptation of Satan and and from sin came death. God says this almost as a riddle to Adam, Eve, and Satan. 
the snake in Genesis 3 talking about sin, talking about the hope of Christ. And I will cause hostility, violence between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. In a freshly fallen world of the Garden of Eden, God made the first prophecy of the hope of Jesus to come. This specific hope that one day a child, an offspring of Eve, would crush the snake, Satan's head, with a lethal, lethal blow. Yet in the process, this child of Eve, Jesus, would be struck on the heel. Church, the cross is that prophecy coming true that Jesus is struck with the sting of death on his heel to pay for our sins. Yet Jesus' resurrection, he crushes the head of Satan. When he rises from the dead, it shows the payment of sin has been accepted, that forgiveness is indeed available to us and he literally overcomes death itself when john says he believed he means he believed jesus's own words and believed all of jesus's bible and everything it had to say about him for thousands of years to the jewish people about the Savior who come and pay the price for our sins, the Savior who come and conquer Satan, the Savior who come and begin to undo death in this world. That's what John believed when he saw an empty grave. And the question is, do you believe John? Do you believe John? Do you believe Jesus as John did? John will hold that testimony his entire life. John likely dies around 90 AD, about 60 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And John will die alone in a prison camp, mostly alone in a prison camp on the Isle of Patmos. They had some salt mine there for political enemies of the Roman emperor Domitian at the time. They would send them out to an island and work them till death. And they did this, and we have reliable church history from someone named Tertullian, who was an African church historian who wrote in 200 AD, and he wrote this. He said, John was banished to Patmos because John was first dipped into a pot of boiling oil. They were attempting to kill John to recant his testimony about Jesus, but after emerging unharmed and unburned from the oil, still saying Jesus rose from the dead, John was banished to Patmos as the Roman authorities did not know what to do with this man anymore and feared some of it might be true. John never recanted because he knew, touched, and saw Jesus alive, dead, and resurrected. So once again, if John is real, then you have real reason to believe Jesus is too and that John's telling the truth because he lost it all and had nothing to gain. But what's Mary do with this risen Jesus? Look at verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, 
sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. So we got two angels here. We've talked about Satan as a snake too. And I want you just to realize the Bible is teeming with the spiritual realm. While the Bible has, is scientific and describes life now and life in ancient cultures with unparalleled accuracy, it's never been disproven in any way. The Bible also teaches there's more going on in this world than often meets the eye. And many people instinctively know this. Many cultures of the world very instinctively grasp that there's just more going on in this world, but the Bible is a supernatural book describing a supernatural world that we live in. And in verse 14, apparently, in addition to the angels there, the resurrected Jesus stands nearby watching Mary. Church, God is often closer than we think, but without God's help, we cannot see Him. And this is instructive to us that no one finds God on their own. It's God the Father who draws us to Him and opens our eyes to see the lovely beauty of Christ through our great need for Christ. Does that make mankind helpless to save ourselves? Yes. But does it make us hopeless? By no means. Because God gives salvation to anyone who calls on Him. God loves us. If salvation was up to me and my good deeds, that's real hopelessness. That's a real problem because I'm not that great of a person. And I'm betting you're not either. I bet you petty. But if salvation depends on God, a God that loves me so much that he would die for me willingly, and Jesus' resurrection means that sin did not win, that death will not be the end, and that the snake's head has been crushed, it will be a death blow that finishes him, yet Jesus lives, then we have all the hope in the world, church. And that's the truth Mary stumbles upon in verse 15. Genesis 3.15 has been fulfilled. Note the language with me, church. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing Him to be the gardener. Hmm. She said to Him, Sir, if you have carried Him away, tell me where you have laid Him, and I will take Him away. Jesus as the gardener is not the worst take. In fact, God's story could be interpreted just as that. Look with me at this chart. Everyone clap for uh, Kate Tedditon. It's amazing. I know. Just amazing work. See, the Bible has three big gardens in it. Three big trees in it. So when Mary calls Jesus the gardener, She's much more right than she knows. We already talked about the first garden, the Garden of Eden, where everything was perfect, Genesis 1-3. through And the original plan is that this garden would expand and expand. The human population would grow and grow and grow. And this Garden of Eden, the work of Adam and Eve, was to extend it and live life with God. 
At the center of the garden was the tree of life. But because of sin, the garden was ruined. Humankind, all the horrible things of all the horrible places, all the hate, all the pain, all the sin, all the rebellion of God, all the injustice of this world, all has a root cause that men and women fell into sin in that garden. Which brings us to a middle garden where there was a tree of death. Deuteronomy 21 calls anyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. Jesus was cursed for us. Not for His crimes or His sins, but for ours. And that tree of death sits next to a garden tomb, just as we've been talking about. And it points forward to a final garden city with a new tree of life, bringing in all the nations, all the peoples, all the tribes and tongues of all time, coming to see and worship the Lord Jesus. All who repent and believe on His name will come and see this final glorious tree whose leaves heal the nations, and we will shout and worship Jesus forever and ever and ever. Indeed, Jesus is the gardener. And that is good news for us as Revelation 21 and 22 describes. When we see Easter as the center of the story, we learn true Christianity. Easter is not the end. God's goal isn't just to save you, but to change you from the inside out and bring you home with Him. It's the hope of the Garden of Eden renewed that you would live life with God now and then perfectly for the rest of eternity. Easter is not the beginning. Skipping all of our stories, skipping all of our sin, glossing over all the hate and the pain that sin caused, all the injustice, all the strife. No, the cross shows God cares. He stepped into this world. He's not a passive observer from afar, but someone who suffered in every way just as we do. He entered under the Son He made was crucified by the creation He made to redeem us from under the law that we may live with God. Easter is not the beginning of the story. Easter is not the end of the story. But Easter is the middle of the story and that changes everything because there's a hope for everything that's been lost in sin and it teaches us that this life is not the end. Mary asked the gardener for more information about Jesus. And finally, Jesus does for Mary what Jesus does for us. Verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbioni, which is an affectionate name for teacher. Jesus calls Mary by name, Mary. And instantly she knows he is Rabbioni, the teacher, Jesus, God himself. And church, that's exactly how salvation works. There's a difference from knowing Jesus is the Savior and knowing Jesus is your Savior who calls you by name. He knows you for you to know him. Jesus moves from mistaken gardener to the Savior, the Messiah of God, who calls Mary and calls you by name. Today, Jesus must move for you from good teacher or myth or Savior in general to the real Savior of John, to the real Savior who can call you from death to life, 
that you would repent and believe, receiving Jesus as the only payment for sins and the Lord of the universe who conquered the grave, Satan, and sin. I plead with you as the Scriptures say, do not harden your heart to God's words, but instead believe John. John is totally explicit what he expects of his readers, what he expects of you. If you read John's words, he's completely clear in verse 30. Why does he write these things? He just tells us. This is like the moment that he gets up from reading the book, puts it down, and stares at the audience. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, presence of me, which are not written in this book. But these are written, I've emphasized these things, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. The purpose of telling us about Jesus' resurrection is that we may repent and believe. Sin is our rebellion to God and His ways, and to repent is to turn from sin and take the same hope and trust you had in this world and sin and put it in to God. It's a turning away from this and turning to God a Savior who can truly save. Let Easter be the middle of your story. Let Easter be the middle of your story like it's the middle of God's story. Listen, y'all. Jesus longs to redeem every single piece of your past. Jesus longs to give you a sure hope, a sure future that you too will resurrect from the dead. He longs to do that even now, even today. Do not harden your heart to God's words, but hear your name from God. Do you believe John? If you do, then Jesus is God. And His resurrection means one day you'll resurrect too. You've been listening to the Citizens Church Podcast. Special thanks to Murphy DX, who recorded our theme music. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama, you can visit us on our website at citizensbhm.com or on the usual suspects, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.